culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And what a great day it is. A great day for the Irish 34 million Americans who describe themselves as Irish American, including the President of the United States and the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. But uh, what do they have uh, to do to settle a, a basic conflict between them? Uh, there's an interesting suggestion about that that relates to St. Patrick's Day. Uh, also related to St. Patrick's Day is the idea of reparations for the Irish. Now, this is not a joke. Uh, when the Irish people first came to this country in the 1840s because of what we don't call the potato famine anymore, it's not the potato famine because the potatoes didn't starve. Uh, people starved. The right way to refer to what happened where about a third of the population died and another third immigrated, most of them to the U.S. But what happened was that uh, people starved to death. They were hungry. And, uh, okay, so what about reparations for the Irish? That's a suggestion of Wilfred Riley. Yeah, it's an Irish last name. He's also identified as one of the leading African-American black scholars in the country. He will be joining us on the whole issue of reparations and why that issue, uh, that uh, gift, if you will, to make up for past wrongs should not be limited to just people who experience slavery and segregation. It should go beyond that. Uh, we will be speaking to Dr. Wilfred Riley later in this show. We'll also be speaking to um, a, a an expert, well, not the expert who wrote the book because he's no longer alive, and we don't do seances on the Michael Medved Show, but we'll be speaking with John West of the Discovery Institute about a new book about the impact of Darwinism, social Darwinism, on Africa and the development of Africa and the attempt to make up for years of Western exploitation, that and more. And, oh, yeah, today's a great day because a very bad guy has a warrant out for his arrest. And this is no joke. Uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, today the International Criminal Court in The Hague, has says that it has issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, you can imagine him holed up in the Kremlin with his elite guard units. And uh, what is going to happen with this? And, and what about the American people and some of our leaders who say, that eh, Russia's nothing to be afraid of, nothing wrong with that? Well, if you already have the leader of Russia under arrest by the International Court of Criminal Justice in The Hague, under arrest warrant, uh, and it's basically for kidnapping children, yeah, really, by the thousands. Uh, this is a fairly serious matter, and we will get to it. And speaking of a serious matter, why is it that the U.S. leads all developed nations in maternal deaths of uh, women in pregnancy uh, or right after a baby is delivered, uh, dying. Why is that so much more common here in the United States and so much more common than it used to be? We will get to that also on the Michael Medved Show, 1-800-955-1776. But first, uh, there is this from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. 
he issued a challenge to uh, President Biden. Uh, uh, listen, this is clip five, 15. For America, we know the stakes are high. That a clash is brewing, people say, between the president and I. Of what should we do? Of what would be the ramifications for the entire nation in the coming months? And I think you might be able to settle this for us. Which one of us is more Irish? <laughs> and uh, actually, it's uh, McCarthy has a more Irish name, clearly. Uh, but uh, uh, Joe Biden, and you can look it up, he uh, has, of his 16 great-great-grandfathers, uh, 10 of the 16 were born in Ireland. And there's a sprinkling of French in there. After all, his middle name is Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. But um, his mother's name was Finnegan. And his grandfather on his mother's side, who was a state senator from Pennsylvania, was Finnegan. That's the uh, more Irish side of Joe Biden. And it does seem to be one of the reasons I think people enjoy St. Patrick's Day, I mean, other than the, the obvious booze uh, factor. And by the way, this is a fascinating thing that I just found out is uh, the, the most famous campaign song in American history it was Happy Days Are Here Again, which was kind of the official or unofficial anthem of the Democratic Party for about 50 years, starting with Franklin Roosevelt. And one of the reasons that the song fits so well, Happy Days Are Here Again, was because one of Roosevelt's campaign positions was to get rid of prohibition. Prohibition had been going on for at that time that Roosevelt was running for president the first time for 12 years, and people had enough. They wanted a drink, uh, a legal drink, and not just on St. Patrick's Day, but that too. But uh, happy days are here again. Let's sing a song of cheer again. Actually, what people were singing part of the time in 1932 was happy days are here again let's sing a song of beer again because that could have been a powerful thirst as someone could make it it may be uh that uh, the irish people in america are the last group in the country where it's okay to make fun of them and uh, you don't have consequences of people trying to expel you from, from the airwaves or to cancel you somehow. Uh, listen to President Biden. Uh, does he get away with this just because he's Irish? Uh, listen to clip 17. This is today. No, no, I'm the only Irishman you ever met, though, that's never had a drink, so I'm okay. <laughs> I'm really not Irish. Okay, and we still have, we have the fighting Irish. I mean, can you imagine any other ethnic group that would accept the designation of fighting Irish for one of the most beloved football teams? And then at the Oscars uh, last Sunday, I listened to Jimmy Kimmel noting the Irish origins of many of the nominees for the acting awards. Listen. Five Irish actors are nominated tonight, which means the odds of another fight on stage just went way up. <laughs> Uh, okay, can you imagine if somebody had said these same things about black people, Jewish people? Uh, I mean, you know, they, they wouldn't be the fighting Irish. It, it would be the uh, it wouldn't be the fighting Jews. It'd be the arguing Jews. That might that that might work. 
But uh, uh, seriously, uh, it, it is a, one of those great holidays. It, uh, nobody thinks that celebrating St. Patrick's Day makes people less patriotic as Americans. And, and this goes back to the very first St. Patrick's Day parade, which was in the 1700s in New York City, late 1700s, where people were waving American flags. There was no real Irish flag at the time, just green banners. Uh, but people were also celebrating St. Patrick. Uh, when we come back, we will get to this uh, question of uh, the International Criminal Court. And uh, it's, it's uh, basically issuing an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. And, uh, and more about third parties, a threat of uh, running on a third party ticket that has been issued already by President Trump. But now there's another organization, we've talked about them before, called No Labels, which are trying to set up ballot positions. They haven't even decided on who their candidates would be, but it would be a nonpartisan, bipartisan ticket in the middle between extreme Republicans and extreme Democrats. Really, do we need that? Uh, we'll talk about that and more coming up here on The Medved Show. Michael Medved show on St. Patrick's Day. A uh, little bit of music there from uh, the great Irish band. Uh, that's Bono and the Edge, uh, sort of a homecoming. That's the title of a new um, movie premiering on Disney Plus tonight, which features the U2 musicians showing their friend David Letterman around their hometown of Dublin, Ireland. And there are very few cities I've ever visited that I enjoyed more than Dublin. Uh, and what people always say is they say, well, it, it, it's great to, uh, to visit Ireland because of the countryside, and then you visit England because of the cities. Actually, the cities in Ireland are, are, are fascinating and wonderful, and uh, as Dublin certainly is. Uh, mixed in with interviews... Uh, Dave, David Letterman did with the two band members. We also hear them play some of their best-known songs in new reimagined ways. And, of course, there have been tons of famous Irish bands and musicians, U2 and Van Morrison and Sinead O'Connor and the Cranberries and the Pogues and the Chieftains, who I uh, greatly enjoyed, and Rory Gallagher and more. It's uh, somehow, when, when you talk about national character. The uh, Irish national character is deeply endearing. Uh, Russian national character? Well, <laughs> not so much. And Mazel Tov to Vladimir Putin. Uh, he's uh, just been honored with a new uh, arrest warrant, uh, which has uh, been extended by the International Criminal Court uh, for war crimes. Why? Because of his... Uh, involvement and in abductions of children, thousands of children from Ukraine.
Yeah, I mean, that just uh, gets you feeling so sunny and happy, the Russian national anthem. You can turn it up for a moment. In any event, I know that uh, there are people out there who will want to defend Vladimir Putin, but this is the way the news carried the uh, uh, the information about his uh, arrest warrant. Uh, listen, clip 16. The International Criminal Court has issued two warrants of arrest in the Ukraine situation for Vladimir Putin, President of the Russian Federation, and for Maria Vovaderova, Commissioner of the Russian Presidents for Children's Rights for the alleged war crimes of deportation of children from Ukrainian occupied territories into the Russian Federation. It is forbidden by international law for occupied powers to transfer civilians from the territory they live in to other territories. Children enjoy special protection under the Geneva Convention. The contents of the world's are secret in order to protect victims. The ICC attaches great importance to the protection of victims, especially children. Okay, this is, uh, that is Piotr Hovmansky, who is the ICC president. And uh, he mentioned the name of the other person who had an arrest warrant. And uh, her name is, um, uh, which is fairly complicated, her name is uh, Maria Alexeyevna, Alexeyevna Lvova Belova. And Lvova Belova is, uh, in any event, uh, she has been in charge of these children's camps. The uh, Russian Foreign Ministry responded to the arrest warrants with a statement saying, the decisions of the International Criminal Court have no meaning for us including from a legal point of view. Russia is not a party to the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court and bears no obligations under it. Uh, Lvova Belova, accused of spearheading the program of transferring children, defended her conduct. Uh, conduct. Uh, what I want to say, firstly, it's great that the international community has appreciated the work to help the children of our country that we don't leave them in the war zone. Okay, the difficulty is that what they reported, Nathaniel Raymond, at a briefing for the International Criminal Court, uh, we have identified at least 43 facilities in this network of camps that are holding Ukrainian children or have held Ukrainian children. This network stretches from one end of Russia to the other. The primary purpose of the camps appears to be political re-education. In other words, learning to worship uh, Vladimir Vladimirovich, uh, the president of Russia. Uh, more statements from the ICC president. Uh, this is an important moment in the process of justice before the ICC. The judges have reviewed the information and evidence submitted by the prosecutor and determined that there are credible allegations against these persons for the alleged crimes. The ICC is doing its part of work. As a court of law, the judges issued arrest warrants. Their execution depends on international cooperation. 
Uh, I think they get international cooperation from a lot of countries, but um, I, I'm, I'm not expecting a particularly persuasive or enthusiastic defense on the part of, of Vladimir Putin. There's also this uh, editorial today in the uh, Wall Street Journal replying to Russia's drone provocation. And uh, the uh, Pentagon on Thursday released uh, footage of a Russian fighter jet that uh, harassed, dumped fuel on, and then collided this week with an American reconnaissance drone. The provocation warrants a U.S. response, and the right one is giving the Ukrainians the sophisticated and long-range weapons they need to defeat Vladimir Putin's military. Uh, actually, we should follow the example of Poland. Poland just gave four fighter jets, they are modified MiGs, uh, to Ukraine. And Poland has a lot less military to spare than we do. We don't have any to spare either. But the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Mark Milley, said uh, yesterday that it wasn't clear whether the Russians intended to ram the MQ-9 drone's propeller. The U.S. was forced to bring down the drone in the Black Sea, but a collision was a risk, uh, was a risk that Russia accepted when its pilots dumped fuel in what the Pentagon calls an unprofessional intercept. General Milley noted that the very aggressive episode fits a pattern of behavior by the Russians. And um, then they say in the journal, Mr. Biden may prefer to let the moment pass and herald his own restraint, but he won't like the decisions he will be forced to make if Russia escalates and downs a plane manned by U.S. military pilots. Russia isn't the only adversary testing what the U.S. will tolerate. Beijing has been harassing American assets in the Pacific with a Chinese fighter jet coming within 20 feet of a U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane in December. If the world seems volatile now, it will be more so if America's enemies feel empowered to provoke the U.S. without fear of a response. And this also goes with um, what uh, a prominent source calls uh, uh, Governor DeSantis's first big mistake. Coming up on The Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there's a, uh, a story uh, that, that, of course, St. Patrick's Day and makes me think about uh, one of the candidates who is running, who would be the first Italian-American president of the United States, uh, which is uh, Governor DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, and all eight of his uh, grandparents uh, and uh, again, his, his great-grandparents, that's eight, all were immigrants from Italy. So leaving that aside for a moment, uh, there is a, an editorial uh, that appeared yesterday, actually. And I think it's a powerful editorial. It's about under the heading of DeSantis's first big mistake. The uh, Florida governor toys with Trumpian retreat on Ukraine and uh, the journal says before he joins the campaign in earnest governor DeSantis may want to consider 
that the political risks on foreign policy aren't only from the Trumpian right. Abandoning Ukraine may cost him with GOP voters who think he is bending in fear of Mr. Trump. Mr. DeSantis has sounded more hawkish notes on Russia in the past, and the press will play up those as contradictions. This could become less a policy issue than a matter of character. What does Ron DeSantis really believe anyway? I, I think that's a powerful point, and I think they're right. The politics of Ukraine may also shift as facts on the battlefield do. If Ukraine manages a victory, even as Republicans call for retreat, the GOP will have surrendered one of its core selling points as the party voters trust on national security. It would then be all the harder to marshal support and resources for a stronger U.S. military deterrent against China. And what if Russia swallows all or most of Ukraine? Mr. Putin will then set up shop closer to the Polish border and be even stronger as a malign force in Europe. The U.S. will be drawn deeper into the continent's problems, not free to focus on the threat posed by China, which in any event will conclude with the U.S. that the U.S. is weaker. Is that the world President DeSantis wants to inherit on January 20th, 2025? And then they are right, and what a powerful message this is. They write, Reagan is declassé to some on the right, but China and Russia and Iran are combining forces to threaten the U.S. in a way not seen since the 1980s. Still relevant is Reagan's 1983 warning in his evil empire speech, quote, beware the temptation of pride, the impulse to blithely declare yourselves above it all to test a giant misunderstanding and thereby remove yourself from the struggle, the eternal struggle, between right and wrong. The Gipper's peace through strength remains the benchmark for Republican success in world affairs. Let's hope there's still a lane for that kind of candidate in the GOP primary field or the country and the world are in more trouble than we have imagined. So writes the Wall Street uh, Journal. And uh, look, it's, it's one of those things where when you listen to what is going on, uh, CNN's senior international correspondent Will Ripley spoke about Xi Jinping's upcoming visit with Putin. Uh, listen, this is clip 12.5. If there were to be an influx of Chinese lethal weapons, as the United States uh, suspects China is seriously considering, and it would make sense that when President Xi goes to meet with President Putin, either neither the Kremlin nor the Beijing readout actually mention weaponry, uh, that is a discussion that uh, they could very likely have. And if China does decide to do that, in defiance of warnings from the United States and the West, it could be very bad for Ukraine, even with the, the influx of weapons that have been flowing from NATO and the United States. Uh, and so while you know, China is saying this is all about urging peace and that they have a, a, an objective and impartial position, Don, if they're so impartial, you know, they put out this 12-point peace plan. They didn't call uh, Putin's war an invasion. And she has not even spoken by phone uh, with Ukraine's president, even though he's now traveling to Moscow to meet with Putin. Uh, his first overseas trip, by the way, since he got this unprecedented third term. Uh, yeah, he won in a squeaker election. I believe it was unanimous. No, seriously, in the Communist 
Party Central Committee in China, this for Xi's third term. Uh, Vitaly Klitschko, who is the mayor of Kiev, former professional boxer and a very formidable one. He's in New York City for a global CEO summit. And he released today a video of himself walking the streets of New York and talking about the continued struggle of his people. Listen. I'm in New York City for the Global CEO Summit. New York is amazing and it's lightening up the world with its endless love for freedom. Freedom is not given. Freedom is a fight. In Ukraine, we're paying the blood price for it. And I want to thank you, Americans, for incredible support against Russian invaders. Yes, the evil empire is trying to return to the world stage. It is deporting our children to use against our civilian population. A disgraceful, unhuman weapon that you know well here in New York and Boston. Terrorism. Do not underestimate its appetite and its propaganda. Today, it attacks American drones. But what's about tomorrow? Alaska? This is my appeal. Continue to support us against our common enemy and for our most cherished common good, freedom. <laughs> good for him. Um, and a, 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 a strong collaborator for President Zelensky. And you compare the clarity of Vitaly Klitschko and this statement that circled the world and greatly reassured the Russians uh, yesterday. Listen, 2.5. Our foreign policy establishment keeps trying to pull the world into conflict with a nuclear-armed Russia based on the lie that Russia represents our greatest threat. But the greatest threat to Western civilization today is not Russia. It's probably, more than anything else, ourselves and some of the horrible USA-hating people that represent us. Uh-huh. And those horrible USA-hating people who represent us. And uh, he, he's not USA-hating, however, when he says this. This is clip four from the former president. Lately, there's a statement that's been out there all over the place. It's a quote from a lot of people. It said, Trump's been right about everything. And if you think about it, I really have. It's my honor to do it. Okay, and and then, just like it was his honor to win the election in 2020, uh, this is, uh, again, um, Trump unleashed, uh, clip six. Them twice, did much better the second time, and they don't want to do it again. It will be a lot tougher for them to cheat and rig the election like they did in 2020, and that's why they're using their city, state, and federal prosecutors they are using them like has never happened before in our country. Republicans in Congress are watching closely. The DOJ should stop. We have to get our country back. The DOJ, the FBI, the local prosecutors should all stop. Uh, should all stop what precisely? In other words, should it uh, be because there is a political tinge to all this? This comes at a day when the uh, New York Times features a piece where uh, insiders with the Trump campaign, some of them who are named, uh, say that uh, they believe that all of the legal problems that President Trump is experiencing 
uh, all those problems are going to only serve to elect him and make him even stronger. It's kind of like a famous movie line, uh, which uh, Greg Tomlin found. We'll play it coming back uh, from the Michael Medved show. Does it work that way? And what about that third-party threat? We will get to that and more coming up on the Medved show. And on the uh, Michael Medved show, uh, Star Wars uh, obviously is part of our national inheritance. And uh, concerning the uh, Trump campaign and its plan to win in jujitsu, uh, what do I mean by jujitsu? That's where you use the other guy's strength against him. Uh, there's a piece today in the Times, and it says people involved in Mr. Trump's legal case have discussed hiring, bringing on a new lawyer to add to the existing team of uh, Susan Netchelis, a Manhattan criminal defense lawyer, and Joe Tacopina, a New York lawyer with a brawler's attitude. Mr. Tacopina has been an aggressive defender of Mr. Trump on television on Tuesday. On MSNBC, Mr. Tacopina made several points attacking the credibility of the key witness, Michael D. Cohen, Mr. Trump's former lawyer and fixer. But other comments he made left some of Mr. Trump's allies stunned by what he was articulating. Mr. Tacopina bluntly stated that there was a political benefit to Mr. Trump from an indictment. If uh, they bring this case, he's talking about the prosecutors under Alvin Bragg in New York City. If they bring this case, I believe this will catapult him into the White House, Mr. Tacopina said of Mr. Trump on MSNBC. I believe it because this will show how they're weaponizing the justice system. In other words, the message? If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Oh, yeah, that could could happen. Now, part of that power involves the uh, possibility of playing the third-party card. Uh, because this is, is one of those things that is too little noted when people look at what it was that allowed President Trump to win the first time in 2016 and caused him to lose the second time. The The fact is, the first time, there were three times the percentage of uh, votes for third parties in 2016 as opposed to 2020. In 2016, you had two former governors, a former governor of Massachusetts, uh, William Weld, and the former governor of New Mexico, uh, uh, Johnson, who were running as the Libertarian candidates. And they did well, and the Green Party candidate did well. They got a total of 6% of the vote went to third-party candidates, and most of those votes came right out of Hillary Clinton's hide. 
and uh, helped to elect Donald Trump. There were fewer votes on a third party, uh, and fewer votes meaning not 6%, but 2% total, in 2020, in which the choice was much more clear. People could vote for Trump, or they could vote against Trump, uh, voting for Biden or against Biden, and people were less tempted to go over to a third party. Uh, William McGurn in the Wall Street Journal writes about uh, Trump's threat of actually going third party if he doesn't win the nomination. And is that a serious threat? Is Trump serious about it? Well, you might remember, and McGurn has a, a very good um, uh, recollection uh, of what happened in 2016, the very first debate that he did, they asked the Republican candidates who were up there on stage for anyone to raise a hand who would not commit himself in advance to supporting whoever won the nomination. And Trump wouldn't. And he said because he wasn't sure that uh, if the nomination would be given out fairly or whether it would be stolen or somehow uh, cheated or somehow people uh, behaved badly and unreliably and dishonestly. And that's been a position that he's taken throughout and he's already setting up for 2024. At the first Republican presidential debate in 2015, writes Bill McGurn in the journal, uh, Brett Baer of Fox News opened by asking for a show of hands from candidates who wouldn't promise to support the GOP nominee. Only Donald Trump raised his hand. Mr. Baer pressed him, asking if he understood that an independent run would almost certainly deliver the race to the Democrat. I will not make the pledge at this time, Mr. Trump confirmed. That was a threat to the Republican Party then. It's a greater threat today, writes McGurn. And it speaks to the unique challenge faced by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in 2024. At this moment, Mr. DeSantis trails Mr. Trump 43% to 28% in the real clear politics poll average. Not only does Mr. DeSantis have to beat Mr. Trump in the primaries, he has to do it in a way that won't provoke the former president into stalking off and running as a third-party candidate in the general election. Mr. Trump faces no such inhibition. He's already launched a few broadsides in the governor's direction and tried out some nicknames, although none have stuck. Mr. Trump remains the man to beat, but at the moment, Mr. DeSantis appears the Republican likeliest to beat him. The governor's record in Florida is impressive. He can also argue, and has, that unlike President Trump, he was re-elected to a second term. Indeed, while the former president lost the popular vote in both 2016 and 2020, Governor DeSantis squeaked by in 2018 but was re-elected last November by 19.4% in the process flipping predominantly Latino Miami-Dade County. Even if Mr. DeSantis managed to win the nomination, Mr. Trump might still be able to frustrate his chances. Thin margins in some swing states clearly show that a shift of a few thousand votes in three or four states could mean a different president. The most dramatic example is Florida in 2000. Florida's official tally shows George W. Bush bested Al Gore by 537 votes out of almost 6 million cast. 
Ralph Nader, who ran as a Green Party candidate, got 97,488 votes. And then he comes to this, is that there are sore loser laws which might prevent Trump from getting on the ballot in certain states. In other words, there are laws in six states, including key states like Michigan and uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Those close states say that if you ran in a Republican primary and lost, you can't then run as an independent candidate and have your name on the ballot. Yeah, but you can still run as a write-in candidate. And you can still withhold your support of the Republican ticket. And uh, in 2016, the question was, can Donald Trump be elected? In 2024, the question may be, will Donald Trump try to ensure that no Republican wins the White House if the party doesn't nominate him? Now, of course, he, he can put an end to all of that conversation if he wants to by saying, no, of course, I'm competing for the Republican nomination. Uh, I've uh, done great things for the Republican Party, et cetera, et cetera. We've broadened the base. And, of course, I would uh, support uh, any of my opponents if they were to win the nomination. Uh, chances are, I mean, Trump, as they reported in National Journal, has for uh, over a month now been gaining steadily, up opening up a much bigger margin between himself and DeSantis. So the, the other third-party question that has emerged as a very real one has to do with uh, the movement known as No Labels, where they are raising a great deal of money and they have already well, secured a position on uh, the ballot in Arizona. Now, how they, again, they have a position on the ballot. They're having a convention in Dallas that will be uh, about a year from now. And they plan to nominate a president and vice president, but their whole idea is we'll nominate one president who's a Republican or a Democrat and one uh, candidate for vice president who is then the opposite party. The idea being that the, they claim, uh, according to their argument, that both parties have become much too extreme, and that is dividing America and paralyzing our politics. Well, uh, we will uh, get to that uh, because there's been a powerful broadside fired against uh, no labels, saying basically it's being supported right now by a lot of Trump supporters as a means of uh, guaranteeing a Trump victory against Joe Biden, who they expect they'll be running against. So what's the real idea of no labels and the real future of third parties and the American election? We will cover that. Also, a surprise in the world of dogs. Labrador retrievers toppled, no longer the most popular dog in the country. So who's winning that particular race? We will get to that and much more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.